Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe here with you. It's hour number two of our show. Go back and watch our first hour on YouTube, and make sure you check us out five days a week from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. And then we also have a weekend show here on FST. By the way, thank you so much for all of our new subscribers who are watching not just our show here on SportsGrid, but all of the other shows as well. And as a reminder, every single day, one of our shows is live, and that is uh, Scott Farrell Coast to Coast. So make sure you catch his show as well in the afternoon. Uh, Go over to YouTube. He had Tony Hawk on the show uh, yesterday, and you can see the great interview that he had with him. Scott brings in some of the great guests in all of sports. So, uh, Joe, we're going to dive into some win totals here again in the NFL, and um, and we got two good teams today. Yes, we do. I'm excited. Let's go. Let's let's do it up, baby. Okay. Um, Let's start off with the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that had, I would say, probably a little bit of a disappointing season last year, and ironically. Any game of any team that lost to the Dolphins is going to be a team that is going to burn me. And how the Eagles ended up losing to the Dolphins up 14 points going into, I think it was the fourth quarter, is beyond me. Uh, That really cost them a lot last year um, uh, for Philadelphia. I think that they could have had a good year, but they just had all kinds of struggles defensively at the beginning of the season. And then their offense was sputtering. Their running game was sputtering. They couldn't figure out what to do. Wide injuries, too. Yeah, they, they had it all. Oh, that's true. They had a lot of injuries. They had a lot. Well. I mean, Deshaun Jackson was out for the entire year. And you had uh, also Alshon Jeffrey missed significant time. And he was really never healthy all year. Uh, it, it was it was a cluster for the Eagles. There's no doubt about that. And it was funny because I think if the Eagles had stayed healthy, they might have had a better chance of actually running away with this division. They should have won the division. And they Bigger. didn't. Yeah. And they didn't. And that's the thing. You you step back and you look at it now. And I know they made the playoffs, but I mean, there was plenty of opportunities for Dallas to win this division, too. They were healthy. They just failed to, to cash in when they needed to. The Eagles, it was very difficult. I mean, it's it's funny because both teams had opportunities to beat the Patriots and neither could. And in either of those scenarios, I believe both played the, the Patriots in December had they been able to do that, then they want whoever did that would have basically run away with it and nobody could do it. It was like the gang that couldn't shoot straight in the NFC East. Yeah, it was it was one of the worst divisions we've seen in a long time. That's probably good enough to get you in the playoffs, though, moving forward. Uh, this season in 2020 coming up, the Eagles are looking at a win total over on the FanDuel Sportsbook of nine and a half. That is their number. And I don't think this number would switch because the odds would indicate that on the over. It's uh, minus 105, and actually, uh, you know, on the under, you can get a little bit of plus money here. So I I think that when I look at Philadelphia and I look at all of the different options, I I don't think that we've gone to a team yet that I thought had a chance to either win a Super Bowl or win the NFC Championship. But I think both of the teams today that we're going to talk about have a shot. I like Philadelphia. I like what they did in the draft. I like the first player they took in the draft. I love Rager. So I think that he is going to immediately make a big impact there. I think it goes without saying that they're going to give Miles Sanders the ball. That's one guy that showed in the last half of the season that he's a dynamic player. Uh, we got lied to all offseason. We're told that Miles Sanders looks like the best player on the field. Yeah, sure. He looks like the best player not playing on the field. That's what happened for the first eight games of the season last year. That's not going to happen this year. I think Philly's going to be much better. I won't bet any overs right now because anything can happen. A guy could get tested positive for drugs. It could be <laughs> he could miss the whole season. Why would I bet an over right now on any team in the NFL? It makes no sense. If the line is not going to move, I'm going to wait right until game one. But if I had an inkling, it would be over on Philadelphia. Yeah, this is a this is a runaway for me because I think this is exactly right. I just really do. Um the Eagles, I don't know if they did enough. And I think the Giants actually had a really good draft. I think the Giants did well, and they have a lot of weapons. And a healthy Saquon Barkley changes the configuration a little bit of that division. Um, also, you have the Cowboys with a new head coach, and we're not exactly sure what that looks like yet. It could be really good. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Nobody's going to know. So there's a lot of unknowns now all of a sudden in this division, and I feel like they're about a nine-win team. It feels right so for me, Craig, I don't know. This is very difficult. This is I know yesterday we we kind of disagreed on one. I was very pro under on Jacksonville, even though I understand the cautionary tale that was the Dolphins last year. I get that. 
at the same time, I don't know, man. I just can't get there. I feel like this is a team that's right there, but I don't trust them. And unfortunately, Wentz has had to deal with his share of injuries, too. You look at the schedule they have, and they also have to play the North in the AFC this year. And that means they're going to play Baltimore. And that means they're going to play Pittsburgh with Roethlisberger back. That's when they played Cleveland and Cleveland as crazy as they are every now and then throws down a really good game and you go, Oh look, there's the Cleveland Brown. So I think this is really tricky. And to me, this is a big runaway okay. number because of their schedule. They also play Arizona later in the year too, which I think Arizona is going to be a much better team. They so I don't think it's enough as bad as the Giants and Redskins were last year. I don't think the Redskins are going to be much better, but I think the Giants are going to be better. Yeah, uh, odds to win the NFC East plus 140, odds to win the NFC Championship 10 to 1, and the odds to win the Super Bowl for Philly 19 to 1. And so I think that all three of those numbers are really intriguing to me, especially the one that, that has the NFC Championship. I don't know that any team's beaten Kansas City again this year. I'm not sure about that, but the NFC no. Championship is 10 to 1. And, um, you know, and basically with all of these bets, now we haven't really covered a lot of teams that I thought had a shot yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this one, you take you take a hundred bucks. I mean, I'd take more than a hundred bucks. But you take a hundred bucks, you put it on Philadelphia to win the NFC Championship, and you win five hundred dollars if they get there. They don't have to win; they just got to get there. Because then you hedge, you take the other team in the NFC Championship. So, I think that they got a legit shot to get there. But um, you know, we'll certainly have to see. Um, all right. So from the Eagles, we go to the highest win total in the NFC and the highest win total on the board in two thousand and twenty. And uh, Baltimore is 10 and a half this season. We'll get to them tomorrow. But uh, the Saints, Joe, are also 10 and a half going into the season with actually a little bit of plus money here, plus 100. So even money on the over. And then if you bet under 10 and a half, it's minus 120. And as far as their long shot odds go, of course, they're the favorite to win the NFC South. So you're not really producing any money there. It's minus 110 to win 100. Uh, Odds to win the NFC championship, basically six and a half to one. And their odds to win the Super Bowl, they are among the favorites. They are 12 to 1 to win the Super Bowl coming up this season. Now, for me, I'll never bet a, a line this big. I never will. It's just, I don't care how good a team looks, one player away, one injury away, uh, the variance is just too high for me. So while I do believe the Saints are probably better than a 10 win team, if I had to pick one, it would absolutely be the under, just because. A key player goes down or a few key players go down. It's the same example with Philadelphia. If you bet on them on the over last year, injuries will just ruin you. So I I think the Saints have a great shot to win the Super Bowl, but my lean would be under. Yeah, look, if the Saints continuously get in a position to go to the Super Bowl and then continuously fall short for some reason. Uh, I would probably stay away from the win total, too, although if I had to pick, I think they are an over. Uh, looking at their schedule here, uh, I I'm just not drinking the Tampa Bay Kool-Aid like everybody else. I know it's a fun story, but it's very rare we get fun stories and a lot of players. Like, I think Tampa might actually be better next year with Brady than they would be this year potentially. And I know he'd be another year older, but what I've seen in my lifetime is a lot of great stories of players showing up places and all these other guys showing up and everyone's getting together and the band's getting together. And the mercenary teams rarely work. It happens once in a blue moon. But not necessarily. And I know Tom Brady is the exception to every rule. And that's why I've got Tom Brady memorabilia all over the place here. I love me some Tom Brady. And this is not Sarah Grapes because I'm going to be rooting for my TB12. Very hard to succeed. But I also have to be realistic. He's an older quarterback in a new system, in a new environment. And yeah, all of that might be great and fun. But does it equate to them challenging the Saints? I don't think so. I look at the Saints roster. And the Saints roster might be the best roster in the NFL. And it might not... You know, the second might be the Ravens or Chiefs, but that roster top to bottom for the Saints is just outstanding. Uh, They also added Malcolm Jenkins back to another veteran presence there. And look, if Breeze goes down, the backup is now Jameis Winston, which I thought was a very cagey move. You know, Teddy B went in there last year when when Breeze was out and they played well. They went in there. They beat Seattle in Seattle. (laughs) Let's not forget that. Uh, Teddy B did okay. So I'm looking at this. I think you take the over on the win total in terms of the NFC South winning I think they are still going to win that division. And then winning the AFC Championship game, that's that's the one for me. I think that's where I feel really good. Odds of the Super Bowl aren't bad either. You know, 12 to 1, if they could just – I feel like if the Saints can just get there and get over this hump that they've created for themselves mentally, I think they would actually win. 
But I feel like they're just all of a sudden, like they just keep losing in the most miraculous ways the last couple of years. And I don't know, man, I think it starts to creep into the psyche. What do you think about that? You think Breeze is done after this year? I do. Whether he wins or not, I think this is it. I really do. I I, I think, he, I don't know how much is just left in that tank. I just don't. Um, I mean, he's, he still looks other good. Other than injury, he has not shown any signs of slowing down. None. No, he hasn't. But I mean, you also look at Drew Brees, too, and you look at the last three years, you're looking at a guy who averages about 290 yards passing at home and about 217 on the road the last oh, three yeah. years. It's been a home thing. So yeah. he's always been a home road split so guy. Can but he not worse. retire and broadcast uh, for NBC for road when they're on the road? <laughs> I bet the Saints would and love that. The home games. Well, but true. here's the other thing, too. Doesn't it kind of tell you something that he's already signed that deal with NBC? I, to me, that says a lot. To it me, that's weird. exactly why you went after Winston and you said, okay, look, we got to have somebody in place that knows what's going on. And if Winston, we feel we get confident in this year, great, we will go with Winston next year if we win, if Breeze retires, or best case scenario. Worst case scenario, we don't win, Breeze retires, and we feel good about Winston. The worst, worst case scenario, we lose, Breeze retires, and Winston doesn't look good in practice. That is the worst thing that could happen to Sean Payton and everybody. So, And who knows? Maybe Sean Payton will call quits, too, if he leaves on top. I mean, what more does he have to prove in his career? Nothing. He's been an outstanding coach. Drew Brees is the kind of quarterback, unlike Rivers, and I think even unlike Brady at this stage, that I think he could play 10 more years as a backup in the NFL. I, I think he could play. You're probably right. Like, I, don't, probably- I, didn't, I didn't see Peyton Manning like that. I don't see Rivers like that at all, and I don't. And I think when it comes off for Brady, it's going to be done. But for some reason, with Breeze, I could just see him just hanging around. Well, just... I think part of the reason with Breeze is, you know, let's not forget that they've surrounded him with some elite weapons. You know, let that helps. It helps to have Michael Thomas, and he hadn't had Michael Thomas, so it certainly helps make him look better as he's getting older. He's had Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. He's had some really productive running backs around him too. So yeah, but, he's but been also surrounded he's by made guys great too. I mean, he absolutely. Mar- has. I'm not Col- saying he's not Marcus great. Colston was a hey, zero. I think Drew Brees is top five all-time quarterback, period. End I of story. And I think the reason why he could probably do what you're saying he could do is also because of how quickly he gets rid of the football. He's one of the great decision-making quarterbacks we've ever seen. And he's also got one of the quickest releases, which has not always been Tom Brady's thing. And Peyton Manning sometimes would think himself into a hole sometimes he would overthink sometimes drew Brees doesn't tend to do that drew Brees goes up there he sees it he does it it's he's a real feel quarterback compared to you know not to say that he's not cerebral but he's definitely more of a touch and feel quarterback than some of the other guys that we would mention the great pantheons of quarterbacks what happens if the dolphins sign drew Brees? <laughs> why is dante culpepper not available <laughs> How does that happen? Like, how did that happen? Hey, all That's I know crazy. is when I was in college and I used to watch Purdue games every weekend, all I kept saying was, man, this is fun. Look at this guy in the shotgun with five wide receivers every time, just throwing the ball over the place. And everyone kept saying, ah, oh, he's too small in the NFL. He's never going to last. He's never going to do anything. Well, he lasted pretty good, didn't he? Yeah, we'll be right back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish back here with you along with Joe Pizzapia. And it is time once again for a historical look at a stadium. Now, yesterday we covered Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is the home of the Little League World Series. And I thought that since we all had that warm and fuzzy feel about us, now, maybe some of us did, some of us didn't, I don't know. But the one thing that, at least from my point of view in history, the one thing that I missed out on is going to some of those iconic baseball stadiums that are no longer there anymore. And of course, like the Polo Grounds in New York is definitely one of those. Uh, but the other one that everyone talks about, and of course, this is much older than I am, but anybody who I ever met who is from New York and moved to Florida or still lives in New York, they always talk about the same place, the same field that gave them that special feeling, which was Ebbets Field in Brooklyn, New York. And of course, I was born in Brooklyn in 1973, so they were long gone by the time I was born, but... Growing up, I, all I knew was essentially the Yankees. 
and the Mets. And that was basically it. I would go to Yankees games as a kid and Mets games as a kid. But uh, my father and my wife's father, they would always go to see games right around the corner at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. And so I thought that we would spend some time educating people about that because I've heard so much about it. I feel like I've been there before. So uh, Ebbets Field, uh, originally established back in 1913, of course, uh, home of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And they only won one World Series championship for all of the great teams that they had in 53 and 54 and 55. They just kept losing to the Yankees. They kept losing to other teams, of course, uh, they were famous for the, the shot heard around the world, Bobby Thompson, home ring off Ralph Branca. I mean, these are names I've probably never heard of before. But it's like they were the the 90s Braves, almost, so to speak, where they would always get to the World Series, but they could never quite capture the championship. And, uh, you know, maybe even like the Buffalo Bills. But the difference between uh, Brooklyn and those other teams, um, well, the Braves did win the World Series, too. But the difference between is that in 1955, they finally got it done. And you hear the stories now about how the World Series was being played during the day and people were listening to it on the radio. I mean, imagine this. You can't even watch the game. You're in school during the World Series. Just imagine that happening. And and people would be running outside and, and just celebrating during the day. They finally won the World Series. Um I, I can only imagine what it must have been like to basically have your own basically home team and then lose it like that because, of course, the Dodgers ended up moving to Los Angeles. They would not build a new stadium in Brooklyn. They tried. They fought. I'm sure you've seen the documentaries on this for years after years. Uh, Walter O'Malley ended up moving the team to L.A., which you know turned out to be the right move. But it's really hard to go back and tell all the fans in Brooklyn that. And certainly when you look at the amount of, of uh, Hall of Famers that ended up playing in the short period of time that they were in Brooklyn, it's just incredible. It's insane. Now, in a short period of time, 50, 60 years is still a long time, but uh, I want to focus a little bit more on that. So let's take a look at the players that actually played in Brooklyn. And we'll start off, of course, with Jackie Robinson, who broke the color barrier and thanks to all of the people in that organization, especially Brant Rickey, they changed the way that we viewed baseball. And people wanted to go see Jackie Robinson play. Don't get me wrong. They had a lot of other great players to come through there. But it was always about Jackie, who uh, for many, many years was the most exciting player on the field from the, the late 40s into the 50s. And, uh, and then, of course... We, uh, we honor Jackie Robinson every April in Major League Baseball. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. Also on this list is our more Hall of Famers, uh, Duke Snyder. You remember Duke Snyder in that song, if you were in the 80s, you remember the song Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. I mean, that's probably going way too far back for a lot of you. But I would tell you that Duke Snyder, along with Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle, all were in... New York, and all playing in the same outfield. So this would probably be the equivalent of, like, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, and Mike, and Bryce Harper all playing in the same city. Imagine that happening. It's just hard to think of. But Duke Snyder also got into the Hall of Fame and uh, had a chance to meet Duke for many, many years over in Vero Beach when they had their fantasy camp, uh, the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers in Vero Beach. Well, they also left Vero Beach to go to Arizona for spring training. That's a story for another day. Uh, Roy Campanella who was their longtime catcher and an all-star for seven consecutive years, another Hall of Famer from the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now, here is a name that a lot of people may not know, but Don Newcomb was a pitcher on the Dodgers, African-American pitcher, who actually won the Cy Young and MVP in 1956. This was around the time where they started naming MVPs of the different leagues. And he actually won both of those. And in terms of pitchers, we know that that list is very short for all of the players who ended up winning Cy Young and MVP. But uh, Don Newcomb was definitely on that list. Uh, also, Pee Wee Reese, their shortstop, another Hall of Famer there as well. And they also had a player by the name of Gil Hodges, who was their first baseman. And there are uh, many who feel to this day that Gil Hodges should be in the Hall of Fame, not just for uh, being as a player, but also as a manager. He went on to manage the Mets and was the manager of the New York Mets when they won the 1969 World Series. So uh, the miracle. 
that's Gil Hodgins was the guy there as well. So uh, really incredible. Um, I would say all of famers and also just players that I, I know a lot of people have never heard of. I had never heard of probably half of these guys on the list, but I would tell you that uh, for many years, what I used to do is living in Florida and the Los Angeles Dodgers used to hold their training camp in Vero Beach, which is where the Brooklyn Dodgers had their spring training camp in Vero Beach. So every year, twice a year, they would hold the Los Angeles or Brooklyn Dodgers fantasy camp. And every year they would bring in these names that I'm talking about. Duke Snyder would end up being there. Uh, then the, later on, they went to Los Angeles and guys like Steve Garvey would end up being there. Russell. And the great thing about all of these players was the idea of getting to Vero Beach every year for the Los Angeles Dodgers and Brooklyn Dodgers fantasy camps. And Joe, that I never participated in the camps. This is going back about eight to 10 years, but my father-in-law would, uh, me and him would make that three-hour drive every year, twice a year in February and November. And uh, we would see great players like Duke Snyder and, uh, you know, Los Angeles Dodgers too, like Steve Garvey. Uh, and and look, it was for the campers, but they allowed the general public to come watch there. And a lot of the guys, uh, the old timers from Brooklyn used to be involved in these games. Unfortunately, now in terms of the Brooklyn Dodgers and especially that team from 1955, there's only a handful of guys that are still alive. But in the history of sports, the 55 Brooklyn Dodgers will go down as one of the most popular World Series champions of all time. Yeah, them bums. Uh, they were the team that was always Cinderella, a team that could not beat the Yankees, it was like the big brother was always just kind of pounding them down. They had enough talent, but when they got to that World Series, it just for some reason didn't go their way. But they were in it almost every year in the 50s. And a juggernaut of a team, you look back at the the names, you know, between uh, obviously Jackie Robinson, but Duke Snyder, Roy Campanella, Newcomb, uh, Gil Hodges. Gil Hodges, I mean, another one of these guys you talk about Hall of Famers that aren't in the Hall of Fame. You know, I actually dealt with this a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about this. Uh, on Diamond Bets, on the baseball show, Matt Stryker and I, we were talking about, well, how good really was Gil Hodges? Because he was the number one first baseman in Dodgers history. When you go back and you look statistically, this is a guy, 32 31 32-122, 42-130, 27-102. I could keep going. I'm getting exhausted. The point is, Gil Hodges should be in the Hall of Fame, not to mention he was one hell of a manager, too. Unfortunately, his timely, uh, untimely passing here, but uh, right in the early 70s after the 69 Miracle Mets. But my goodness, I mean, Gil Hodges, a very important figure, not just in New York baseball, but baseball. Yeah, and, and I and I want to also mention a couple of other names that I didn't mention here. Uh, Carl Erskine was a great pitcher for them in the 50s. Uh, Clem Levine was their closer. Carl Ferrillo was an all-star five different That's times right. and played with them for 10 years uh, in the outfield as well. But I, I think that what Brooklyn speaks to more of the point, Joe, of teams that end up leaving their cities. And certainly that's a whole show that we could probably do on that. The Dodgers are the most popular all-time of a team leaving and going to another place. I think the Cleveland Browns are probably uh, in second. You know, Certainly the Indianapolis Colts come to mind as well. But it's got to be heartbreak. I've never had that happen before, and I don't ever want to have that happen. Imagine having your favorite team, and then, I mean, even if it happens, you know, back at the time where it happened with Cleveland, we didn't have Twitter, we didn't have the internet, it just happened. And, like, it was like, mm -hmm. what? What? You know, now everything would get out. You have insider right. reporting. Nothing like that would ever happen again. But I, I know that we hold our fantasy more dear. We hold our gambling more dear than we do the actual NFL teams. But there is a large majority of people who still root for teams. The majority, the majority still are fans. And what if what if the New England like you're you're a Patriots fan? What if New England was the team they chose to go to London? <laughs> it would be very difficult to stomach. You'd be like, my what? father went through this. My father was a kid in the '50s in Brooklyn, and the Brooklyn Dodgers left town. That broke his heart. And he never invested in another team again. He just didn't. He would watch games with me, he'd root for me with the Mets and things like that. And that was great. And I told you the other day before on the show that, you know, he would watch the Michael Jordan games with me and stuff like that. He became a, uh, a fair weather sports fan, but he'd never invested again because I think when you're a kid, especially it kind of rips your heart out, especially when so. they're a good team. It's one thing when they're bad, but I mean, this was a team that was really good and iconic and important to the fabric of Brooklyn. Another guy important to the fabric of baseball on this team that you forgot was Don Zimmer. 
Don Zimmer lived through the 55 Dodgers. Don Zimmer was a part of Jackie Robinson. Don Zimmer was there for Carlton Fist's home run. Don Zimmer was there for those Yankee runs. Don Zimmer is baseball. Another guy, another Brooklyn Dodger who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. That's right. He, uh, it wasn't a big part of that team. No, but he's a big part of baseball. And I want to know, know you know who else was on that team? Tommy Lasorda. That's right. That's right. And Tommy Sandy Koufax. That's right. He was like a minor league guy. That he was kind of came up for a little. Could bit. you imagine if Sandy Koufax, a young Jewish pitcher, came up and was dominant as he was in the '60s in Dodger Stadium, but in Brooklyn, what that would have done? I can't even fathom that. I mean, Sandy Koufax was already a god basically in baseball. Could you imagine though what that would have meant to the community in Brooklyn? Just staggering to think about. Yeah, I mean, he did pitch with them in '56, and they kind of had an inkling at that point that he'd be great. But then in '57, that was it. <laughs> yeah, he became uh, he became something <laughs> in the early '60s. I think that's really what it really is all about. But look, I mean, the the Brooklyn Dodgers were the working class team. The Yankees were kind of the institution. You know, I always wonder who are the, the New York Giants fans. That's the group that I always wonder about. I mean, my dad grew up in Brooklyn, too. He went to the Polo Grounds. He went to watch games there as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you had to be a specific fan, I guess. I feel like everybody, don't you know everybody, like your old people that you know in your family? Everybody's either a Yankee fan or they were a Brooklyn Dodger fan. That, no, that is true. That is I, true. I'm trying to find who the old New York Giant fans. I guess Giants I know why fans. they moved. <laughs> I guess so. But imagine and imagine having, you know, you, you turn, you make a left, you go see Mickey Mantle, you have a right, you go see Willie Mays, and then you go straight, you go see Duke Snyder. I mean, you got Duke be Snyder gets lost in the shuffle because you're talking about the greatest living player in, in Willie Mays and probably the most iconic New York player. Uh, for now, we'll take a quick time out here on the show. The Universal DH is coming. We'll tell you who may be a factor in that next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe back with you as we wait for the Major League Baseball season to get announced and the rules to be set, as we talked about on yesterday's show. If you want to go back and watch On Demand, you can see us discuss the possibilities for a designated hitter for the Atlanta Braves. And we also took a uh, look around the NL East as well. So we looked at the Nationals, the Marlins, the Philadelphia Phillies. But, of course, there are some teams that are going to have better options than others. And interestingly enough, they are talking now about some of the finances, how that will affect 2021. If there's revenue sharing this year, it won't make any difference. But the salaries will certainly be enhanced by about 10 to 15 players come the end of 2020. So as we look at the National League Central, Joe, I, I think very similar to the East, we have players that will be benefited. But I think particularly for the players that we're going to discuss here for uh, these teams in the NL Central, I think that they are lesser-known players, meaning that they may have not gotten drafted in 12-team league standard leagues, but now have some extra uh, eligibility. Yeah, I mean, they might be lesser-known to the general public, but I think to the fantasy baseball public, there's a couple names in here that you should know and uh, a couple benefits to this, too. And I'll tell you what, it must be a hot topic because yesterday morning, the New York Post back backpage story was Yoannis Cespedes, Mets DH, big question mark. I know they're still trying to make that happen. We didn't even mention him. We were just talking about Dominic Smith. It's funny. We didn't. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess I should I, mention I mean, him. throw I'll him out the there. Yeah. What's funny, what's funny is, so my son is very into watching all the old YouTube videos. And so he's, you know, watching. I don't know what it was he was watching with the Mets. And it wasn't that long ago. It must have been two years ago. And then he's seven years old. So he says, Daddy, what happened to Yoannis Cespedes? <laughs> I don't understand. He was winning the home run derby. He was with the Mets. He won two home run derbies, Daddy. What what, what happened to him? And I'm like, well, he was chasing a, a pig, well, and, he, and he fell in a hole. And he said, Daddy, he fell in a hole from chasing a pig? Is that allowed? I'm like, no. And that's why he's not playing now, because he broke, broke uh, both his feet. And so it, it led to this whole explanation about Yoannis Cespedes, and he's like, well, was he good? I'm like, he was amazing, and he got paid to be amazing, $40 million. He's a physical freak at his and, feet. And, and it's very unfortunate, because had he been healthy, I think he still would be hitting 30 or 40 home runs, but his career just took a massive detour. Maybe, maybe this is what he needs. Maybe he, maybe the DH in the National League gets Cespedes back on there. I don't know, man. It, 
And I guess anything could happen. I feel like that's that's what this year is. It's anything could happen 2020. We can't rule anything out. Can't rule it out. But I know we didn't talk about him. And then I saw the headline in the post and I went, all right, well, I, I guess we got to talk about it. I guess it is I a, guess. It is a I point. Guess. So, if I'm redrafting, I would consider it. But I know he was at spring training. He was taking BP, so he was he around. Wasn't, he didn't get any games. Yeah. He didn't get any games, though, so I don't know. And remember, he took less money to go back with the Mets than to sign with the Nationals. You remember when that happened? Too? Well, he, he did, but he's still getting paid the Mets money that, that he got. Everybody's so. still getting paid Mets money. Bobby Benilla is still it, getting Matt, paid. Basically, he agreed to still play for them. Because he, you know, he felt that he's like stealing money from them the last couple of years. Yes, he is. $40 million. You said it, I didn't, but you're right. All right. Uh, so let's look at the NL Central. We'll start off with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, we'll, we'll go through the list here, and then we'll go through these players one by one. We got Tyler O'Neill uh, for St. Louis for sure. Big, brawly, uh, designated hitter, possibly. Tommy Edmonds going to get a chance to play every day now, it would seem also, although I didn't include him here. Uh, the Cubs is pretty cut and dry. Ian Happ, I think, is their DH, period. They could never find a place for him to play. Now they got one. Uh, the Brewers, uh, I left out a big name here because I have Brock Holt and Jed Jerko, but clearly Ryan Braun is another name that needs to be added to this list. And Braun, who says he's going to retire at the end of the year, may have to rethink it if he can play DH for sure. That's a really uh, big name that I didn't include. Uh, the Reds, I can't figure this one out. They got a lot of different options. Who knows? I don't think that there is one player that's going to be necessarily benefited because I think they're going to use a lot of guys and a lot of platooning. And let's not forget, uh, Nick Castellanos could, probably should be their DH anyway. So, <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, Van Meter, Shebler, Kyle Farmer's pretty good. Uh, I, I mean, Senzel, I think, is going to play the infield. But Winker could play DH, too. I, look, honestly, the Reds are going to be a good team, but the DH is going to be a mess. They're going to use a lot of guys. I don't know where Senzel's going to play the infield. Is he going to play shortstop instead of Galvis? I don't know. He's not playing second base because Moustakas is there. Well, let's just call it what it is. The Reds are going to play like the Rays. They're going to be doing a lot of Foster, moving guys, guys around, yes. and there isn't a key guy here. Uh, Pirates is very clear. Jose Osuna could never get at-bats because he couldn't play the field. This is probably... If he, if I mean, Hap is probably the best name here, but I think oh. Osuna is going to be a monster, uh, getting a lot of at bats. He is good when he plays. He hits, and I want to make sure I included him on my list today. So yeah, um, that's what I got here. Uh, Hap is a big beneficiary. I'm still not convinced Joe Tyler O'Neill can stay healthy. So well, me, this helps because you're not playing nine innings maybe so. out there in the field. Maybe, I mean, maybe so I'm I'm still not sold on him though. I well, not. look, I'm, I want to talk about Ian Happ because this is the guy that I'm excited about because this is a guy that finished very strong. He may in be September. the biggest benefit of all of the NL guys. Look, he's still just 25 years old. Number one, number two. I know it's September and you get the last year of call ups and all that stuff and it's still wacky, but. Ian Happ looked really good last year. He also hit the minor leagues when he got sent down again last year. And I think Ian Happ's one of those guys that you're right. He didn't have a spot. Now he was kind of earmarked for that everyday center field job. I know Almora is a superior defender, but Ian Happ is a superior offensive player potentially. So this is a really good way here to kind of get him in the lineup every day, whether he's going to play more of the center field and then DH a couple of days where they're going to split that. I don't know. But what I do know from an at bat standpoint this is really going to help Ian Happ, and I think you should be very excited. And if he's on waiver wires and you can pick people up right now, I would go add him to any roster if he was somehow floating around there too. And I've, I'm somebody that owned him last year, wrote about him. Unfortunately, it didn't pay off until the very end, and that was far too late for it to pay off. But I'm not off that wagon yet. Again, just 25 years old, same age as Carlos Correa. I'm not writing him off either. It's way too early to write guys off before their 27th birthday. So I'm going to give these guys time to get right. And I think Ian Happ is a perfect example of a guy that isn't the greatest defender, but certainly has power, certainly has the ability to put the bat on the ball and would be a very exciting one. And Tyler O'Neill, you mentioned, you know, bigger guy. You mentioned, you know, has trouble kind of staying on the field. DH is another really good role for him. Jose Ozuna, another guy you watch and you know he can hit. It's not a matter of that. It's yeah. a matter of what's the path to at-bats, and this is a really good one for him. Uh, I think Ryan Braun is the perfect guy for DH here right now because this is another guy, too, you know, constantly having to deal with the injuries. When you draft Ryan Braun, bad you bad have bad. to know yeah. Yeah, the bad back is terrible. So let's not make him throw. Let's not make him stand as much. Let's not make him run around as much. And, you know, they also signed Avisel Garcia in the offseason, too. They kind of had a glut of – outfielders you so to speak in in milwaukee and i think ryan braun would be, benefit the most from kind of move to that dh spot not every day 
but maybe three days a week in that scenario. So that's why I added him in there because to me, as soon as I saw Brewers, boom, that was the first guy that made the most sense to me. Do you think there would even consider making him just the everyday DH just so. to keep him yeah. in the lineup? Yeah, I think so. That could happen. The, the other interesting team and the other part of this too is that like us going back and redoing our fantasy drafts, would the Cardinals want to go back and make that trade again by trading Jose Martinez? Because oh, Jose, Jose Martinez question. could play, Perfect guy. <laughs> uh, he would play every day at DH and absolutely mash. And now he's going to do that with Tampa Bay. I don't think Jose Martinez is going to play a single game in, in the field in 2020. And so, I don't think so because they did get a pitching prospect back. And I also think that they like Dylan Carlson enough there that they want to open up some spots. And I know everybody's infatuated with Tommy Edmond right now. But let's also, you know, remember that he could just be in a very long line of the Skip Schumachers and Joe McEwings of the world who are who are useful at times. But let's go back and look at the track record. It's a guy who didn't hit for a lot of power. I know he had 11 home runs in a smaller sample. All the extrapolators got out their pens and wanted to make it over 162. That's not the player Tommy Edmond was in the minor league system. I don't think it's a player he might be. And what about Matt Carpenter? Maybe that's a guy that ends up DHing for the Cardinals. Another guy with a bad back, can't stay on the field, a little older. But you want his bat in the lineup if he's healthy enough to swing right. it. Well, he'll be a free agent, but you know, it would really be the optimal thing for him to do in 2021 if the DH is permanent because they have a third baseman uh, that they drafted that you know named Nolan Gorman, who's right. probably going to take over. I, I don't think Nolan Gorman's ready, and I don't think they're going to start he's that not. clock on him this year. He so is not ready, and he actually rested a little bit last year. So I don't think you're looking for him in 2020 at all and i don't know if you're looking for him in 2021 but i think 2021 you are you think so you think he's going to be up there i I think he may make the team out of spring training wow i would that would be something but i look i think this is a unique opportunity for some of those guys in the national league who have been hanging on towards the end of these contracts now who have good careers like matt carpenter like ryan braun that are professional hitters that would really benefit from this DH role. And I think the central kind of reeks of it the reds i think you're right that is going to be a daily guys you know, I don't think Castellanos wants to do that. I think that's the only thing he probably well, wants. Well, JD Martinez play. doesn't want to either, and he is. So, I mean, you gotta, you gotta do. Well, what if you that's told. the case, then Senzel goes out there and plays the outfield. I think that could be. That could be. That that, yeah. that may, may be. A Which scenario. is great because it gets Senzel out there playing every day. And I think once they signed Shogo Akiyama, we all kind of looked at each other and went, "All right, well now what?" He's, <laughs> you know that. Yeah, he's definitely playing for when he's they're paying every him every day. Yeah, no, yeah. he's got to play. Yeah, uh, but. Um, but Van Meter can hit a little bit. Shevler can hit a little bit. Farmer they brought in. Winker. I, I just, I, I see multiple guys being used. I saw multiple guys being used in the outfield and a little platooning. And now I think it's even going to be enhanced with a designated hitter. Now guys may go from in an 80 game season getting, uh, you know, 70 at bats to getting 100. I mean, that's certainly possible. But the Reds situation particularly is one that um, I, I can't identify someone that says, wow, this guy's going to be there DH every single day. I just, I don't have it. Yeah, I think it's going to be a rotating thing for most National League teams because they're not really locked in. However, if one or two National League teams do lock in on the right guy, it's a difference maker in the middle of an order. Like if Ian Happ established himself as a 25 home run kind of threat, obviously in an 80-game schedule, it's to call him a 15 home run threat, right? And he's sitting in the five hole in that lineup every day at DH. That's a huge win right there. Yeah, no, it could be. And uh, and unfortunately for the Pirates, Joe, they're not in a position where they're really prepared to compete right now. And they're one of the very few teams in baseball right now that basically, now look, anything can change in the shortened season, but you can't really name more than a half a dozen teams going into this year that you just know have no intention of trying to compete. And the Pirates clearly taking that step back two years ago with Cole, and then now with Starling Marte, I mean, <laughs> they are not in a position in 2020 to compete. So yeah. um, I think it's all young guys, all playing time, all the time. And uh, Osuna honestly could be the kind of guy that if they have a trade deadline in August or September, he could be the kind of guy that gets shipped out after after playing a month or two. Because I don't know that he'll figure into anybody's long-term plans, but he could be a nice bat boost, I would think, at some point this year. Yeah, look, uh, I think you're right about the Pirates. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. And you know, you just depressed me for a second there because I was thinking, man, they really didn't get enough for Garrett Cole, did they? <laughs> right. I mean, you look at some of these trades that they've made. They've traded off, and oh, you know, yeah. you moved on from some well, huge got players. The GM fired. I mean, he got fired. And well, I mean, if you don't get enough fired. back in these trades, it's death. I mean, if you don't get that one chip that you could turn right around and say, oh, look, we got player X here. 
and we dealt potentially the best pitcher in baseball. But I mean, it is it's crazy to think about well, the, the kind of talent they have. Yeah, the Cole and Meadows, and the Meadows one I think was was the end, unfortunately. Yeah, that's definitely the end yeah. for them. All right, uh, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, it's time to look at the possible reserve list. So looking at prospects and potentially even players that are not on the 40-man that were invited to spring training that now have a chance to potentially play in 2020. We'll have that next on Fantasy Sports Today on SportsGrid. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. Craig and Joe back here with you. We covered the designated hitters potentially in the National League Central. Now we're going to go through the reserve list in the NL Central and... A lot of interesting names digging a little deeper into the minor league systems of some teams. And but Joe, before we get into the specifics as far as the players are concerned, do you think that the reserve list for fantasy will be more interesting for the players who are like those fringe AAA players that may have a chance to bounce up and down in the minor leagues and major leagues? Or do you think it's more interesting from the prospect perspective because we're not really clear at this point whether or not we're going to actually see some of the best kids get called up like we do every single year in June or July, the Keston Huras and the Jordan Alvarezes of the world that get called up and help you win a fantasy league. I'm not so sure that that's going to happen this year. So do you think it's those guys who are parked at AAA and those career minor leaguers, someone gets hurt, this guy comes up, ends up playing 50 games for them, or potentially is it the minor leaguers that end up making this pseudo-reserve roster? It really is a team-by-team basis. It really is about which teams are contenders and which ones aren't, or who has the devastating injury. I think for the most part, I would say it's the quad A guys probably are the winners here because if there's one thing we know about Major League Baseball, it's always about money when it comes down to everything else. So if if a team is in a position to win and a young player can help them win, then that's money. They'll do that. Otherwise, it's all about control of the money. And I think more, I would say, 70-30, it favors the quad A players and the guys who are going to be on these taxi squads going back and forth. That's that's my take on it, too. And we also have to think about this. I mean, when players have major injuries now where they miss, you know, could miss a couple months of a season now, that's an incredibly different thing. It's one thing to miss two months of a season in 162 games. It's another thing to miss two months out of, what, three and a half or whatever we're going to end up with. So everything is so hyper-focused now. It is going to change so much how teams react and overreact and how moves are made. But, I mean, just think about some of these injuries where you say, oh, you know, he's going to miss, you know, he'll be out for a month with this calf injury. Well, geez, out for a month with a calf injury, that's devastating. And that could totally change the makeup of a team's chances of winning, depending on who that player is, especially if it's a pitcher. So, I mean, we are in for something that we've never seen before. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's exactly the juice that baseball needs right now because God knows they've gotten a little stale over the years. So I, yeah. I'm very excited about this. I'm more excited for this wackadoo baseball season, potentially, than I have been in for baseball in a long time. And that is, in a way, sad to me because I love no, baseball. No, I think everybody my first should. Every, listen, regardless, everybody's going to be super excited because we're going to have something to watch on let's TV. Hope, so let's let's make hope no they don't screw it up it. talking about money. Because I think right now, I think it'll end up everybody working. hears I'm talking about money, and I can tell you right now, I can already see and hear on the social media people starting to get pissy about it. We're like, hey, uh, I, mean, I got no job. Out. Go figure it out. Exactly. It'll, it'll, it'll get sorted out for sure. But the one point that is important to make before we go into this is outside of the Pirates, and the Pirates are in the National League, we really didn't find any team – that doesn't want to compete in the National League, even the Marlins in the shortened season are going to try and show face here a little bit. Like they got Jonathan VR, they got uh, Jesus Aguilar. They're they're on the way back up. They may not, they may be at the bottom again for sure, but they're on the way back up in the NL. I have a question. Do you want to, if you're, I mean, if you're in the Marlins and the draft is even smaller than you'd ever thought it possibly would be, isn't it crucial that in- you, that you suck this year? <laughs> And make sure you get the best of the best of that draft. No, I mean, look, they have to, the Marlins are in a different position than a lot of other teams because they have to build this fan base back again. They have to show confidence. That is absolutely true. Trading the players that they traded away and acquiring the prospects that they got. They have to show the fans that they're on the way back. They can't suck again. (laughs) Jesus Aguilar, Um, by the way, another DH. (laughs) Just just want to throw that out there. That was another guy we didn't talk about as DH potentially, but I don't know if he's the greatest defensive first baseman in the world. (laughs) Yeah. 
All right, uh, but you know what? I, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that the uh, the two teams that I that example that I would count on no prospects being called up would be Pittsburgh and San Francisco. That's it. Uh, definitely Pittsburgh. Definitely San Francisco. Yeah, like, like if San Francisco, um, I know they I'll have. Throw it, yeah, I mean Detroit is the other one. No, no, in the NL. Oh, in the NL. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm yeah, sorry. In the NL, yeah, those are two. That's it. Like you can put it down. Whoever the best prospect is on San Francisco, whether you think it's Bart or Julio Ramos or any of these other kids that they they are, I would they're not calling anybody up. They're trying. Insane. They want the number one pick in the draft. Pirates probably want the number one pick in the draft too. But they actually have some holes maybe to fill. San Francisco has a bunch of old aging veterans. Um, sure okay, do. so here here is the reserve list players potentially. Uh, Cardinals have Dylan Carlson and Junior Fernandez. Both won't make the team to start. Dylan Carlson is the first guy up. Maybe Dylan Carlson will make the Cardinals. I don't know. But uh, whether it does or not, he is maybe on all of the reserve lists at all of Major League Baseball. He could be the most important player, honestly. Uh, Junior Fernandez fell out of favor for a while there with the Cardinals, but put it together a little bit in the minors. He is the essentially the sixth starter, I would think, for St. Louis. Of course, they signed Kim this offseason uh, from overseas, and he's he's definitely going to make the team. He looked great in the spring. Junior Fernandez was probably, it may not be their best pitching prospect, he, he's the next man up. So something happens, Michaelis can't pitch, he's hurt again, who knows. Junior Fernandez would get his shot. Uh, the Cubs. I, I have a question before you hit, move on to the next one there. With the Cardinals, what about Reyes this year? How does this shortened no, season affect yeah, him for you? Yeah, it, it's a very it's sad, over? it's a very sad state of affairs for, for, uh, for, for my guy Alex. Very sad. Okay. I mean, he's going to try to come back again. I'm rooting for him. Uh, everyone knows that I've, I'm close to him, and, and uh, you know, I, I hope it works out for him. But it's just I, I can't sit here and endorse what I've seen thus far. So fair enough. Very sad. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully he does. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm rooting for him. I just I, I don't. I mean, it did. It didn't look great in the spring. It didn't look great. Uh, Cubs have Ian Miller. They don't have anyone. Let's be honest. I got nothing. That's their be- the best prospect possibility is Ian Miller, and he's not even anything. And uh, they've the- gone. They've gone dry. The Cubs. They got nothing. I mean, Nico I mean the Hoarder, Cubs were the most Nico productive Hoarder to make the team. I think so. But do you remember when the Cubs, like five years ago, were just the? Oh, they, yeah, yeah. They were an embarrassment of riches in the minor league system, and That's then it's all just kind of That's dried up. So the window's yeah. there. I mean, I, I feel bad for the Cubs fans because they oh, got they the one title. Year, they could win this year. They could win. They, they could, could, but oh, man, I mean, you Darvish has to be what he was last year. A lot would have to go right, but they absolutely on the field with the players that they have: Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Wilson yeah. Contreras. Come on, I mean, they and this kid Horner could end up being good at second base. Horner is a nice player Half potentially to, too, but I, I think fun. I don't Look, know if the pitching the, is fine. That's my question: is, is if you Darvish enough. is you Darvish of last year? Yes, John Lester looked like he was done. You want to talk about a guy who's throwing softballs up there and now? It's John Lester. It, listen, it's good enough. And in a situation like this year with 80 games, the Cubs could absolutely get back to the playoffs for sure. This is it, though. This is it. This is the this year is going to be the. I end. agree. This is the window here. This and it's going to shut real hard. Bryant's going to be gone. They'll probably trade Rizzo. Um, the Brewers have a kid. He's not their top prospect. He's probably their second or third best pitching prospect, but he is ready. Uh, Drew Rasmussen is his name. You could go check out his stats. He's he's on the Brewers' top ten list as far as prospects go. He would be the next man up for Milwaukee if something happened to any of their pitchers, and everything has happened to their pitchers in the last five years. So who knows? We could see this kid Rasmussen sometime in the late summer or fall. The Reds have Tyler Stevenson. He is their catcher, starting catcher in 2021. Uh, I like Tucker Barnhart. I think he'll end up being a catcher for somebody else, but it will not be in Cincinnati. Stevenson is their catcher of the future. If something was to happen to Barnhart or they would need a boost, maybe they would use even this kid Stevenson as their DH. I think he'll make a debut in 2020. And then the Pirates have a lot of young guys that they'll put on their reserves, but I don't know if they're going to use them. Brian Hayes took a little bit of a step back last year. O'Neill Cruz took a little bit of a step forward. They'll both be on the reserve list when they have it. Whether or not they'll use them this season is anybody's guess. I'm not really sure how the Pirates are going to operate. So Carlson is the name here of all the reserves, but unfortunately the NL Central doesn't have a ton of young prospects that I think that will, they'll be willing to go to this year. So this this is not clearly as good as the uh, NL East that we covered yesterday. No, it's not. But Carlson is the gem. Carlson's the guy to keep an eye on. It's why they've been making room for him, and that's why they're trying to do. They're trying to get him to that level. And look, you know, it's, it's funny because we've had this 
this kind of revolving door with the Cardinals, you know, Piscotti and Grichik, and then you get O'Neill and Bader and all these guys. They, they keep recycling these young guys coming through to play the outfield here. And everyone's super excited about Carlson. I hope he doesn't kind of end up in that category. You There's know what? Of- You're right. They've, they've basically, they've uh, developed the kids in the minors. They've mm-hmm. brought them up. They've been good. And then they've gotten rid of them because they felt like they've peaked. And the, the crazy thing is, is that, you know, Piscotti got paid, and they shipped yep. him out. Um, Gritchick got paid by Toronto. Uh, another kid who they brought up a couple of years ago, who lit the world on fire, gave an extension, traded him to Aledmus Diaz. So they've had these, <laughs> they've had these one and dones. Like I don't, I don't know what it is about them. I don't think Carlson's in that category. I don't think so but, either. But, but it does bear know. witness because. At a certain point, you have to say, okay, well, how many times are we going to get fooled with the same organization doing this? Yeah. And it's just something to behold. Um, Brian Hayes, before all of this went down, there was a lot of chatter about them signing him to that one of these kind of extensions like the White Sox did and bringing him up there and him starting at third base or at least at a timeshare. Now I think that's in huge jeopardy. Colin Moran was serviceable last year. I would imagine he would be serviceable over 80 games. If I'm the Pirates I don't start this kid's clock, even if you think he's ready. It's just it, there's no reason to do that. And I think this he might be the biggest loser in this division with the 80 games. I mean, I think it's definitely Brian Hayes because I think this went from possibly your starting opening day third baseman to probably not playing in 2020 for a big league club, which would which would be disappointing for him. I think disappointing for all of us. Uh, Anil Cruz, I'm not sure if he's quite polished enough yet, and the same kind of story holds true. If you're the Pirates, I guess the big question is why. You've got a bunch of guys out there who can at least be serviceable major leaguers, and you're going to see Colin Moran, you're going to see Reynolds, you can see those guys kind of go out there and just play every day, and the Pirates are going to be in last place. And unfortunately, I think Brian Hayes is going to have to wait till 2021 to get that job. Yeah, he may. He may. I I don't know how the Pirates are going to handle this, but uh, it'll be interesting. And we'll follow it for you as we continue on and get closer to fantasy baseball talk here on the show. I feel like we're a couple of weeks away from firing it back up. I'm looking forward to it. I know Joe is looking forward to it as well. So uh, tomorrow's show, we will be back here on the program and getting ready to preview the weekend. We've got a lot going on. NASCAR is back this weekend. We had Matt Sells on the show earlier this week, so we'll touch on some of the odds there. We'll continue our preview of the uh, reserves in the National League and also the potential DHs from the National League West. So we'll cover that for you as well here on the show. And don't forget, you can also catch all of our shows 24 hours a day here. We're broadcasting on SportsGrid and SportsGrid.com. The early line with Dane Martinez and Joe Ranieri, followed by the morning after, which is also a great show. Make sure you catch them. They do a great job. Our show is on every single day from 11 to 1 Eastern. Later on the day, you have Scott Farrell's show, and then in-game live will cap off the night. Uh, Joe, you can catch this weekend over on Diamond Bets. Real quick, Joe, what do you got uh, cooking for the show this week? Oh, it's the center field show this week. So we're going to do the best center fielders to ever play for every major league team. We're going to rank the best center fielders in the game right now. And we're going to talk about the all-time centers of attention in baseball, both good and bad. So uh, Matt Stryker and I have a lot of fun. If you're missing baseball and you're really going through withdrawal, Diamond Bets is the show for you. And again, if you don't take life too seriously, Diamond Bets is definitely the show for you. We are pretty stupid over there. Anything can happen on Diamond Bets. All right. We look forward to it. That's coming up this weekend. We still got another show to do tomorrow, though. We'll be back. Thanks again to Brett for producing. Thanks again to Danny on the graphics and uh, Ryan, the great job editing as well. I know the show has been tough to edit for sure. For Joe, I'm Craig. We'll talk to you tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Have a great day, everybody. See you. sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com